session five, this whole week has just been pounding on me. The church is called to persevere and in uh, her calling to worship God, believe in the Messiah, sanctify themselves in preparation for the kingdom, and testify to all the nations of the judgment and restoration of that kingdom. So again, just to review, really simple diagram. You have your three basic fold purpose of the church in this age in light of the kingdom to remain faithful in our faith and worship and belief of God's uh, rulership over creation, discipleship and sanctification in light of, uh, of our inheritance in that kingdom and then evangelizing in the good news of that kingdom. And in uh, this, like, I don't, I, this, the Lord has just highlighted this so intensely to me uh, over this last week. The point of, the Great Commission, and at the end of every gospel, at the beginning of Acts, the Lord just screaming it over and over, that the point of this age is the Lord having mercy on the Gentiles. And it's just assumed He's going to have mercy on the Jews. I mean, you have three-quarter of the scriptures talking about his mercy to the sons of Abraham. But you have just the press in the, in the epistles and the book of Acts on God's mercy toward the Gentiles. And the Lord ends his, uh, his every gospel, it ends with the commission of the disciples to Matthew 28 to go and make disciples of all Gentiles of all the nations, that they might receive uh, an inheritance in the kingdom. Mark 16, go into all the world, proclaim the gospel to the whole creation or to every creature, like the King James, New King James. But I like the New Living Translation, to everyone everywhere, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved in light of the day of the Lord. And whoever uh, does not will be condemned. And so in their mind, you know, they're hearing the command, go to all the Gentiles, open the door to them that they might be saved from the wrath of the day of the Lord and not be condemned like Daniel 12. And then Luke 24, this is what's written, that Christ must suffer, be raised on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins be preached to who? All the Gentiles. Acts 1, you'll be my witnesses that he's the judge of the living and the dead, that the kingdom of God is his and he will restore it to Israel. But until then, you'll be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, to all the Gentiles. And this is uh, like Romans 11 also reflects, lest you be wise in your own conceits, I want you to understand this mystery, brother, Brothers, a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved after the fullness of the Gentiles will come in. Because he's given, he's handed the Jews over to disobedience that he might have mercy on them. And he's, he's handed the Gentiles over to disobedience. And now he's having mercy on them so that he can show that he's ruler, he's God of 
Israel and the God of the Gentiles, Romans 3, and he has mercy on all. And this is just like, I don't know what happened in my own life and the loss of focus on this, but I remember just the Lord like lasering my life in on this and hearing sermon after sermon after like John Piper, you know, when he says, there's three kinds of people in the world. Those that go, those that send, and the disobedient. You know, there's three kinds of people in light of the agenda of God to have mercy on every Gentile people on the earth. In this age, there's those that conform their lives and ministries to that by directly or indirectly, and then there's just the disobedient that do ministry completely out of context of this and do it for their own honor and glory. And that really is, as you look through the various ministries and, and you know, all the ministries, the heads of their ministries make 200, all the main ministries, the heads of their ministries make 200 plus thousand a year. And the more the more self-exalting, glorifying they are, you know, into the realm of the televangelist, the more they make and the more wealth they hoard. And it's the missions agencies that they're the only ones that restrain their lives because they have a focus and a and a a uh, they have a focus on where they see redemptive history going and the mission of God and therefore they conform their lives to it continually, you know. And if you're in the mission circles, it's this constant conversation: What is the mission of God? What is the mission of God? What is the missio day? And how do we conform our lives to it? You know what I'm saying? And so yesterday, I'm, I'm driving around in my car, and I'm listening to David Hogan. And he's, and he's talking about, he says, he says, people ask me all the time, Brother Hogan, how come you're so driven? What drives you? And he says, I get up in the morning, and I look past the nose on my face and see unreached tribes of people that have never heard the gospel and are going to hell. That's what drives me to discipline my life. And I just like... (laughs) I just sat there and went, God, how did I lose focus? So B, uh, the church is thus a uh, sojourning nation, witnessing to all the nations that the day of the Lord is coming and Jesus is the Messiah. The church is not a dominionizing nation or uh, establishing the sovereignty of God or an escapist nation, avoiding contact with the world before the annihilation of creation. Um. 
So I made a couple of uh, handouts. strange how life unfolds and uh and uh i was uh i was up last night and i i got an email from uh from a uh a uh a uh a group that i'm on an email list with and she just pointed out this uh book by uh Peter Wagner, and uh, if any of you understand uh, uh, the charismatic Pentecostal movement, uh, it, it uh, Peter Wagner is uh, probably the most influential character in the whole movement. And so um, it's kind of one of those things that I don't really want to uh, highlight specific men and figures other than they um other than it's like uh second timothy 2 hymus hymus and philetus or whatever they are men that teach that the day of the lord has already happened and they destroy the faith of many and so i i looked at the contents of this book that was written a year ago a year and a half ago and it like it was the impact of it, I was just feeling inwardly the reality of what uh, of what a true witness on the scriptures is up against, and the vastness of it. And so, I just print off the contents to give you a little bit of a wake-up call because it's not, you know. Uh, uh, theological Gnosticism is one thing, but theological Gnosticism backed by signs and wonders is quite a completely different thing. And so uh, it, uh, and so he's just working through in this book. Um, let's just read through some. So on the inside cover, for many years the church has endeavored to make kingdom inroads into the world's structure, but transformation has been minimal. This is about to change. The greater works Jesus promised his followers are actually coming into view in tandem with this growing awareness. Voices of the church, voices of church leaders are rising with a clear mandate. Social transformation is the current overriding objective for the people of God. Never before has there been such an opportunity. It is time for the church to rise up and take kingdom action, join the pioneers of a new reformation and change your world. And uh, so contents, let's just kind of work through because if you get, and, and you'll start to realize that it's, uh, it, it's, this isn't just a peripheral book, it's a book that exemplifies a movement about of about half of the church on the earth today, and I, I would just generalize that about half of the church is uh, uh, follows this theology and walks it out, and this exemplifies it. 
introduction, a big picture, why this book. Jesus taught us to pray that God's kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. To that end, in these present times, the urgent mandate of God to the church is to actively engage in transforming society. This means placing Christian leaders into positions of leadership influential enough to shape our culture. And so this is, uh, this is Peter's, the other uh, handout I gave you, this is Peter's diagram of uh, the seven molders or the seven spheres of society and the kingdom of God, which is an idea that is manifest in the global apostolic network made up of the 7M coalition, these groups of people in coalition to establish governance over the seven spheres of society. And, uh, and so the seven spheres, you guys know, but the three primary areas that that happens, the means, is wealth, warfare, and teaching. And so I just also copied when he made this diagram and sent it out to his network, because his network is huge. And so when he sent uh, uh, this, uh, when he established the Global Apostolic Network, he sent out this letter on the back to uh, the main leaders, just kind of outlining the overview of it. So uh, chapter one, he, he works through, this means placing Christian leaders into positions of leadership influential enough to shape our culture such as kingdom action can change the word, world. Having said this, it's imperative to avoid the conclusion that a theocracy is called for. Experiments in the past and present, present where a religion or church has had direct hand in the operation of the government have been far less than successful. We must not attempt to repeat them. But again, the logic, you can't, you, you can't have the theology without doing it. I mean, it just doesn't, there's no way. So one, a new wine, the second apostolic age. The new apostolic reformation with its roots going back to 1900 is today's new wineskin. The second apostolic age began in 2001, and today's apostles are the church leaders who, must, who most hear what God is saying to the churches they are now hearing the clear mandate of God for social transformation, the theme of this book. And so as you work through, I just printed off the first few pages of chapter 1 where he's working through the second apostolic age on page 2, a massive movement. Still it's important, he says, still it's important to know up front on page 23 that this is a massive movement recognized widely by sociologists of religion, by church historians, and by other scholars as well. For example, David Barrett, one of, the, one of our most respected researchers and authors of the massive World Christian Encyclopedia, has divided world Christianity into five megablocks. The largest is Roman Catholicism, with over one billion members. However, of the four non-Catholic megablocks, Catholic uh, megablocks, the New Apostolic Reformation, which Barrett calls neo-apostolic, independent, or post-denominational, is the largest with over 432 million adherents compared to smaller numbers for the Protestant, Evangelical, Orthodox, and Anglican megablocks. These neo-apostolics comprise only 3% of non-Catholic Christianity in 1900, but they are projected to include almost 50% by 2025. 
Not only is the New Apostolic Reformation, and so all he's, he's just lumping together Pentecostal, charismatic, bringing everything together under a, uh, under a dominion theology because it really does drive the, it's how it's always been interpreted within the whole movement. And he's just kind of renaming the whole movement as the New Apostolic from 1900 on when God has raised up the uh, new apostles and prophets. But significantly, it's only one of the five major mega blocks that is growing fast, faster than Islam, etc. So, um, so if we flip back over to the contents, and we'll just we'll uh, take a break after we finish this. But I just wanted you to get a feel for um, for. Uh, For the flow of thought, so uh, you have the uh, the need for the call to social transformation, God establishing dominion over the earth. Huh? That's right. He's is true. From Constantine to the reformers, I about my jaw dropped to the floor when I read it. Transformation needs careful definition, accurate measurement. For many traditionally evangelicals, a significant paradigm shift is necessary to embrace the movement. So we're going to get what the paradigm shift is. A new paradigm, dominion theology. Dominion theology provides the biblical paradigm for understanding how the church must involve itself in the cultural mandate as well as the evangelistic mandate. And so you understand what he's saying there. The cultural mandate is the sovereignty manifesting, as well as the evangelistic mandate, the salvation. Okay, so he's just exalting this aspect within uh, a Platonic construct. God's will is not only for us to save souls, i.e. escaping to ethereal heaven, but also more broadly to transform society. Dominion starts in Genesis 1.26, and the theme is carried through the Bible Jesus became the second Adam, regained the dominion over creation that the first Adam lost, which is obviously never stated in Scripture. Dominion is also called kingdom theology. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's will, be, God's will being accomplished on earth as it is in heaven depends on His people becoming empowered by the Spirit and moving in action. Okay, it depends on his people becoming the dominion on earth by what means? Grace, the Holy Spirit. So, a new theological breakthrough, and this is what I about fell on the floor. God has an open mind. (laughs) For over a decade now, a group of recognized evangelical theologians have argued for an open view of God. According to their reading of Scripture, God leaves some, but not all, of the future open to decisions made by human beings. Does what we do really matter? Does God ever change His mind? Is there a satisfactory theological alternative to Calvinism and Arminianism? Theologians such as Boyd, Pinnock, and others think there is. This open theology has come just at the beginning of the Second Apostolic Age, And apostolic people, particularly prophets and intercessors, for the most part, welcome it with open arms. 
They have been assuming and acting upon the principles of open theology, though many have not yet verbalized those theological assumptions. To validate dominion theology is just a trip. And then a new vitality, the power of the Holy Spirit to enact the kingdom of God and manifest uh, the church taking over the seven spheres of society and transformation. The body of Christ in general is currently much more aware of the Holy Spirit's power than it was in the past, due largely to the insights surfaced by the Pentecostal and Charismatic movements. Cessationism is now an endangered doctrine. Now, I want to give you a perspective on this that I believe is a, a divine perspective. I believe that the gifts passed away because God is the one who gives gifts. And he, he granted that they pass away to protect the church from Gnosticism. Because as Gnosticism overcame the church, what happens if Gnostics are empowered with signs and wonders? You believe them. Because the signs and wonders are meant to testify to the message. Do you understand? And so it's not that we're not seeking the power of the Holy Spirit. We are seeking the power of the Holy Spirit to testify to the day of the Lord and the kingdom. Jesus as Messiah to honor and exalt Him. Not to establish the day of the Lord and the kingdom now. And so this is why it's so intense that now you have just like a full like growth of sovereignty now, Gnostic sovereignty backed by signs and wonders. And this is like, I was reading this last night going, this was my interaction with that guy over Christmas. When I'm sitting there for an hour and a half trying to explain the resurrection of the body, and I'm sitting there and I'm like, God, I need a miracle to convince this guy. And immediately it comes right back to me. It wouldn't matter. He would interpret it as you're the anointed one. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just, it's so intense. So, uh, the power of the Holy Spirit released through many creative forms of prayer will contribute to social transformation. A new reality, a calling that this means war. It, it takes the use of the means of the Holy Spirit to press this theology forward. The church is expected to war. Cosmic powers of evil have been assigned to thwart the kingdom of God on earth, but they can be confronted and defeated. And if you read Ephesians 6, after the whole thing of the powers and principalities, it's clearly in light of the day of the Lord that our struggle is with powers and principalities that form strongholds in the minds of men concerning the day of the Lord so that they don't believe they'll be held accountable uh, for their actions. Uh, Apostles are designed to lead the church into war because it takes a government to overthrow a government. Jesus invaded the kingdom of Satan when he came to earth, and he said that the kingdom will be taken by violence, Matthew 11, Some Christian thinkers have promulgated an unfortunate anti-war movement, but the dangers of this need to be exposed. For society to be transformed, bondages related to the land must be identified, broken through informed intercession. In war, the victors plunder the enemy's camp, and God will cause this to happen as never before. So the new scenario of how this is going to play out, the church and the workplace... 
meaning the church, in these seven spheres of life. And this is how the church will, uh, will overcome. The kingdom of God is not confined to the four walls of the local church. The church is the people of God, whether they're gathered in their congregations on Sunday as a nuclear church or whether they're scattered in the workplace. And obviously, you know, the reaction is against things that are actually true. You know, that, that that's agreed upon, no doubt, but this is not the answer to that. Um, Monday through Saturday is the extended church. The extended church, just as a nuclear church, is founded on the apostles and prophets, but the extended church... Uh, these are different people who operate differently under a world. However, if, it is ex- if these extended church leaders who will be most effective in transforming society, workplace apostles are called to take dominion in business, government, arts, entertainment, media, family, education. The new strategy, learning from experience on how to do this, for many years Christians have talked about and strategized about taking dominion, social involvement. Much good has been done, yet sustained social transformation has been elusive. Huge amounts of money have been spent, and the results have been minimal as far as changing the social structures that obviously have been controlled by the enemy and do not reflect the values of which the kingdom of God are concerned. And so the key is not more money, but more ideas to unify around the ideas so that the money is uh, more effective, which the next page is going to blow your mind. We must analyze and understand the the underlying reasons for these mediocre results if we're going to develop a new and effective apostolic strategy for social transformation, a new influence. Money answers everything. So in light of a unified theology, Solomon says money answers everything, which is not what he's saying in Ecclesiastes 10. Obviously. His whole, it means the exact opposite. Money is everything, and everything is vanity in light of the day of the Lord. So he concludes the book with, Therefore, fear God and obey His commandments, because He will give to each man according to what He's done. We have not taken such wisdom seriously enough. Three things more than anything else have changed society throughout history. Violence, knowledge, and wealth. And the greatest of these is wealth. Our churches have been under the spell of a spirit of poverty since the monastic movement began. Do you understand the monastic movement, why it began? In response to Constantine and the church giving herself to Constantine, believing that the Constantinian Roman Empire was the manifestation of the kingdom of God, that the kingdom of God had come. And that's why the monastics said, I can't figure it all out and there's too many forces going on. I'm just going to go out to the wilderness. And I'm getting out of here because I'm going to stand before God and I don't want to be part of that. That's what drove the monastic movement in the early days. And so the spirit of poverty is not not having money. The spirit You can have billions of dollars and have an absolute spirit of poverty. A spirit of poverty says, I'm not content. I don't have enough. You can have an extremely poor man that is, a, that is content with his life. And you go to third world nations, and that's what always, every time you hear people come back from third world nations, what, what smacks them in the face is they have so little, yet they're so happy. They're so content, even though they have nothing. 
a spirit of poverty is not lack of, of wealth. It's uh, contentment with the wealth we have. And this spirit must be broken in order for wealth to flow. Our most reputable prophets have prophesied a great transfer of wealth from the unrighteous to the kingdom of God. Because you prophesy according to your faith. Romans 12. You prophesy, prophets prophesy according to their faith. How whatever they believe, wherever they see things going, and whatever they believe the kingdom of God is, they prophesy according to that faith. And however their faith is in accord with the scriptures, I'm just being blunt and honest with you because you're going to get sent out as sheep among wolves for real who are not preparing people for the day of the Lord, who are not preparing people for a narrow path, who are not preparing people for the storm and to stand before Jesus. And they even might have signs and wonders accompany them. We'll we'll hit that in a couple more sessions. I don't want to get on that train. But the point is, is that all they're, they're prophesying on how those scriptures that are talking about the Messianic kingdom, when the poor in this age, the wealth of the wicked, the wicked will be destroyed, their wealth will be transferred into the hands of the righteous in the age to come. And so they're prophesying about the kingdom now and wealth being transferred into the hands of the righteous in this age because they're prophesying according to their faith. Our ministries need to move from donor-based financing to revenue-based financing. Wealth must be, must be distributed skillfully through sophisticated philanthropy. God gives His people the power to make wealth. A new urgency. Let's get the job done. Each chapter in this book is like an individual book in what I call my dominion library. The social transformation graphic brings them all together. Each part of the graphic is important, and together its different components can provide the pieces necessary to see the whole, to see whole social units transformed. This is an exciting venture, etc. And so uh, we are poised as never before in history to fulfill Jesus' commission of discipling the nations. And so the point of Jesus' commission is that we disciple people in righteousness that they might inherit the kingdom of God at the day of the Lord. And uh, and so you have really... How do I pastor this in the last few minutes? I just want to... I don't want to give you any kind of... Uh, negative critical spirit, though there is, it does come down to the reason people believe the false prophets is because the dreams, visions of their own imagination are convincing, real convincing. And so it's not a matter of, so there is that aspect of true and false prophecy and the spirit of true prophecy is the testimony of who Jesus is and the day of the Lord. And so I don't want to give you a negative spirit. I just want to gird you to deal with what you're actually going to walk into and walk up against. And it's not, uh, it's not like whatever, a bah humbug spirit. I just want you to know this is the reality of about half the church. This is the reality about what half of the church focuses on sovereignty within a Gnostic framework. And so it's not like you're just going to come in and just preach the gospel and everybody is going to repent and believe rightly and it 
takes diligence, focus on the scripture, love, back, backed up in righteousness and holiness. And I mean, it's not, it, it, it's not like a small demon and, and stronghold that is, uh, that is prevalent in this area. That's all I'm saying. You're not going to overcome Gnosticism in a couple sermons. It's going to be overcome with time, diligent, and truth of motive and love uh, being played out over time.